0: Chapter nine of In the Cage by Henry James This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett Meanwhile, since irritation sometimes relieved her, the betrothed of Mr. Mudge found herself indebted to that admirer for amounts of it perfectly proportioned to her fidelity. She always walked with him on Sundays, usually in the Regent's Park, and quite often, once or twice a month he took her, in the Strand or thereabouts, to see a piece that was having a run. The productions he always preferred were the really good ones—Shakespeare, Thompson, or some funny American thing, which, as it also happened that she hated vulgar plays, gave him ground for what was almost the fondest of his approaches—the theory that their tastes were blissfully just the same. He was forever reminding her of that rejoicing over it and being affectionate and wise about it. There were times when she wondered how in the world she could put up with him, how she could put up with any man so smugly unconscious of the immensity of her difference. It was just for this difference that, if she was to be liked at all, she wanted to be liked, and if that was not the source of Mr. Mudge's admiration, she asked herself what on earth could be. She was not different only at one point, point. She was different all round, unless perhaps indeed in being practically human, which her mind just barely recognized that he also was. She would have made tremendous concessions in other quarters. There was no limit, for instance, to those she would have made to Captain Everard. But what I have named was the most she was prepared to do for Mr. Mudge. It was because he was different that, in the oddest way, she liked as well as deplored him— which was, after all, a proof that the disparity, should they frankly recognize it, wouldn't necessarily be fatal. She felt that, oleaginous, too oleaginous as he was, he was somehow comparatively primitive. She had once, during the portion of his time at Cocker's, that had overlapped her own, seen him collar a drunken soldier, a big violent man who, having come in with a mate to get a postal order cashed, had made a grab at the money before his friend could reach it and had so determined among the hams and cheeses and the lodgers from Thrupp's immediate and alarming reprisals a scene of scandal and consternation mr Buckton and the counter clerk had crouched within the cage but mr Mudge had with a very quiet but very quick step round the counter an air of masterful authority she shouldn't soon forget triumphantly interposed in the scrimmage parted the combatants and shaken the delinquent in his skin. She had been proud of him at that moment, and had felt that if their affair had not already been settled, the neatness of his execution would have left her without resistance. Their affair had been settled by other things—by the evident sincerity of his passion, and by the sense that his high white apron resembled a front of many floors. It had gone a great way with her that he would build up a business to his chin— which he carried quite in the air. This could only be a question of time. He would have all piccadilly in the pen behind his ear. That was a merit in itself for a girl who had known what she had known. There were hours at which she even found him good-looking, though frankly there could be no crown for her effort to imagine on the part of the tailor or the barber some such treatment of his appearance as would make him resemble even remotely a man of the world. His very beauty was the beauty of a grocer, and the finest future would offer it none too much room consistently to develop. She had engaged herself in short to the perfection of a type, and almost anything square and smooth and whole had its weight for a person still conscious herself of being a mere bruised fragment of wreckage. But it contributed hugely at present to carry on the two parallel lines of her experience in the cage and her experience out of it after keeping quiet for some time about this opposition she suddenly one sunday afternoon on a penny chair in the regent's park broke for him capriciously bewilderingly into an intimation of what it came to he had naturally pressed more and more on the point of her again placing herself where he could see her hourly and for her to recognize that she had as yet given him no sane reason for delay He had small need to describe himself as unable to make out what she was up to, as if, with her absurd bad reasons, she could have begun to tell him. Sometimes she thought it would be amusing to let him have them full in the face, for she felt she should die of him unless she once in a while stupefied him, and sometimes she thought it would be disgusting, and perhaps even fatal. She liked him, however, to think her silly, for that gave her the margin which at the best she would always require, and the only difficulty about this was that he hadn't enough imagination to oblige her. It produced nonetheless something of the desired effect, to leave him simply wondering why, over the matter of their reunion, she didn't yield to his arguments. Then at last, simply as if by accident and out of mere boredom, on a day that was rather flat, she preposterously produced her own. "'Well, wait a bit,' Where I am, I still see things. And she talked to him even worse, if possible, than she had talked to Jordan. Little by little, to her own stupefaction, she caught that he was trying to take it as she meant it, and that he was neither astonished nor angry. Oh, the British tradesman! This gave her an idea of his resources. Mr. Mudge would be angry only with a person who, like the drunken soldier in the shop, should have an unfavourable effect on business. He seemed positively to enter, for the time and without the faintest flash of irony or ripple of laughter, into the whimsical grounds of her enjoyment of Cocker's custom, and instantly to be casting up whatever it might, as Mrs. Jordan had said, lead to. What he had in mind was not, of course, what Mrs. Jordan had had. It was obviously not a source of speculation with him that his sweetheart might pick up a husband she could see perfectly that this was not for a moment even what he supposed she herself dreamed of. What she had done was simply to give his sensibility another push into the dim vast of trade. In that direction it was all alert, and she had whisked before it the mild fragrance of a connection. That was the most he could see in any account of her keeping in, on whatever roundabout lines, with the gentry, and, when, getting to the bottom of this, She quickly proceeded to show him the kind of eye she turned on such people, and to give him a sketch of what that eye discovered. She reduced him to the particular prostration in which he could still be amusing to her. End of chapter 9